Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning, friends. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I am your host, literally Heather. I am so sorry I wasn't able to bring you a show yesterday. My weekend was pure chaos and sleep was calling my name, but I am here today and I have a great Palmetto State Armory deal of the day for you. It's a Walther PPQ Q4 match 9mm pistol, a feat in firearm engineering that simply must be felt to be believed. The Q4 steel frame will surpass all expectations with its unrivaled accuracy and performance. Its steel frame, precision machined from solid steel billet, improves ergonomics with a wraparound grip panel, extended beaver tail, full-length Picatinny rail, and recessed slide release. The weight distribution of the steel frame drastically reduces recoil to improve shooter performance, ultimately contributing to overall efficiency. The gun is regularly $1,999, but it's on clearance for $949.99. And if you know anything about girl math, pretty much free at that point. Please check out the link in the show description to pick yours up today. In a story that shocks no one, the Office of Inspector General at the Department of Homeland Security has raised concerns about the potential misuse of federal humanitarian relief funds managed by FEMA. According to the OIG report, FEMA awarded $110 million in humanitarian relief funds provided by the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021 to the Emergency Food and Shelter Program National Board. These funds are intended to provide services to families and individuals impacted by the humanitarian crisis at the southwest border in states like California, New Mexico, Arizona, and Texas. The OIG's review, which covered $12.9 million, allocated to 18 local recipient organizations, or NGOs, found inconsistencies in how these funds were used. Key findings included insufficient documentation for reimbursements, unsupported labor charges, services provided to individuals without actual DHS encounter records. For example, one NGO, a local government entity, failed to adequately support $7.3 million in labor charges paid to a contractor for COVID-19 testing. This lack of documentation raises questions about the accuracy and the legitimacy of the charges. The OIG attributes these issues to FEMA's inadequate oversight of the funds and reliance on local boards and fiscal agents to ensure funding and application guidelines. As a result, there's no assurance that the humanitarian relief funds were actually used as intended. The OIG expressed concern that without additional oversight and enforcement from FEMA and the National Board, LROs might continue to misuse the funds 
and increase the risk of fraud. (laughs) Say it ain't so. To address these issues, the OIG recommended that FEMA ensure the EFSP National Board resolves the question cost and incorporates controls in the ARPA Humanitarian Relief Funding and Application Guidance to minimize future reimbursements of unsupported costs. It also calls for FEMA to ensure that labor hour reimbursements made to the COVID-19 testing contractor are appropriately supported. FEMA concurred with these recommendations and reported it has used guidance, issued guidance, I apologize, to disallow on-call labor hour terms in contracts using humanitarian relief funds and to require fiscal agents to report reimbursements quarterly. Additionally, FEMA proposed guidance to require the EFSP National Board to report quarterly on how funds are used and to require LROs to provide additional information regarding migrants encountered by DHS. A probe has been initiated by House Committee on Oversight and Accountability, with members including James Comer, Glenn Grothman, or Grothman, not sure how you say his name, Jake LaTurner, into FEMA's Emergency Food and Shelter Program. This investigation follows reports, as stated previously, suggesting that these NGOs might be using taxpayer funds provided through the EFSP to cover expenses that incurred abroad that facilitate and potentially incentivize illegal immigration to the United States. The concerns raised resolve revolve <laughs> around the possibility that these funds are not being used as intended. A recent media report mentioned that the American Red Cross's involvement in facilitating migrants' journeys to the southwest border which contradicts the organization's expected role in alleviating illegal immigration. This situation is exacerbated by findings, as stated from the DHS Officer Inspector General's report. 60% of the sampled funds that were appropriated under the American Rescue Plan Act were reimbursed to NGOs and local recipient organizations without the necessary documentation for services provided to migrants. The lawmakers have expressed concerns that the Biden administration's policies have led to a surge in illegal border crossings and subsequent releases of these individuals from custody, with taxpayer-funded NGOs facilitating their release and travel within the country. Such activities have reportedly overwhelmed various American communities from Yuma and El Paso to Martha's Vineyard and New York City. The probe aims to ensure that FEMA's EFSP only reimburses authorized expenses and that there's no more misuse of federal taxpayer dollars in this context. Here's a novel concept, you chuckle fucks. The power of the purse resides with the House of Representatives. Cut off the funding to the NGOs, period. Stop giving them grant money. Bam. I swear this concept is not as difficult as it's continued to be made out to be. If it doesn't benefit Americans, you're not allowed to steal from Americans 
for the cause that you're attempting to champion. So simple. Speaking of a waste of taxpayer money, did you know we still have troops in countries where everyone hates us, leaving them susceptible to being murdered in their sleep under the guise of serving their country? The Pentagon announced the names of the three American service members who were killed in an unmanned aerial drone attack on a base in northeast Jordan on Sunday. In a press release Monday, the The Defense Department and Sergeant William Jerome Rivers, 46, of Carrollton, Georgia, Specialist Kennedy Layden Sanders, 24, of Waycross, Georgia, and Specialist Brianna Alexandria Moffett, 23, of Savannah, Georgia, all died on January 28th in Jordan. They did not die in vain, though. According to Corinne Jean-Pierre, they were three folks who were fighting on behalf of the administration. The attack occurred when a one-way unmanned aerial system, or OWAS, impacted their container housing units. Pentagon Deputy Press Secretary Sabrina Singh told reporters Monday that the attack seemed different from prior attacks because of where and when it took place, in living quarters and pretty early in the morning. People were actually in their beds when the drone impacted, she said. Singh also blamed the drone attack on an Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps-backed militia. The U.S. has said the groups in Syria in a has said the groups operate in Syria in Iraq. She said the attack had the footprints of Kataib Hezbollah, but said a final assessment has not yet been made. And she added that U.S. forces would respond at a time and a place of their choosing. In other words, your strongly worded letter is in the mail, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. The department said the attack is under investigation. Later Monday, a U.S. official said it appears that the drone used in the attack was an Iranian drone, a type of Shahed drone, which is the type of one-way attack drone that Iran has been providing to Russia. The attack took place at an outpost known as Tower 22, where roughly 350 U.S. Army and Air Force personnel are deployed. U.S. Central Command said Sunday night that at least 34 were injured, but on Monday, Singh said the number is now above 40. Eight of the wounded service members were evacuated. Some are in critical condition. All are stable, a defense official said. The killed and injured troops were in their sleeping quarters on the base when the drone strike took place. The strike was believed to be the deadliest attack on U.S. service members since 13 Americans were killed in a suicide bombing in Kabul as the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan in 2021. In my lifetime, the United States has never looked so weak on the world stage, and we are paying for it in the most valuable resource we have, American citizens' blood. I think there should be a new requirement. It's like the Hunger Games, but for politicians. A lottery with cumulative entries into the bucket. Your name gets drawn. You get to travel to a destination where you have sent 
women and men to sacrifice their blood for a cause that you have justified, and you must stay there for the duration of the deployment. Make the troops stay 14 months, kiss your insider trading in your desk goodbye. Surprisingly, France has beat the United States in chutzpah. French farmers blockaded Paris on Monday, cutting off the capital city from outside connections with tractors and barricades in a protest over agricultural reforms that the farmers say do not go far enough. Prime Minister Gabriel Attal, still in the first month of his job, attempted to temper the protesters with reforms last week, including measures to make food production easier and more lucrative. The farmers implemented a siege on Monday in an attempt to urge further concessions. We've come to defend French agriculture, farmer Christophe Rosignol told uh, the press. We go from crisis to crisis. Some vehicles in the protest carried placards declaring no food without farmers, and the end of us would mean famine for you. Protesters said they felt left behind by the urban national government, and that many politicians don't take the needs of rural Frenchmen seriously. About 15,000 police were deployed around Paris to keep the city itself safe. Our goal isn't to bother or ruin French people's lives, Arnaud Rousseau, president of the FN, SEA Agricultural Union said. Our goal is to put pressure on the government to rapidly find solutions out of the crisis. Farmers in Wallonia, the French-speaking region of southern Belgium, launched a similar protest near Brussels in solidarity. The French and Belgian protesters complained of rising fertilizer and operation costs due to the war in Ukraine, which has waged for nearly two years. Ukraine was one of the world's largest food producers before the war. The French farmers also demanded deregulation, arguing that the government has strangled its domestic agriculture to an extent that it cannot compete with mostly Eastern European rivals. Farmers have taken to the motorways of multiple European countries in recent months as agricultural policy takes a center stage in the continent's political discussions. Last month, German protesters took their tractors to Berlin over diesel fuel price demands. Now here in the United States, we'd be thrown into prison as an insurrectionist and domestic terrorist organization because our freedom to assemble and petition the government for a redress of grievances is only applicable when we're burning entire cities to the ground in a mostly peaceful manner. As we travel through the news around the world, I'm reminded that it could always be worse. We could be Canada. First, they let men compete in women's sports. Now they're letting adult men compete against teenage girls and wander into their changing rooms. As hard as it might be to believe, in Canada, a 50-year-old man, 55-0, is being allowed to compete in swimming competitions alongside 13- and 14-year-old girls. Melody Weishart, formerly Nicholas Cepeda, or Cepeda, is a professor of psychology and behavioral science at York University in Toronto 
specializing in children and young people. Concerned parents uh, reached out to the media about Weishart in October of last year. He was spotted swimming in a competition at the Markham Pan Am Recreation Center representing the Orangeville Otters Swimming Club. Its competition coordinator initially said he could not recall seeing a 50-year-old man competing alongside teenage girls. Menzies then presented him with the competition schedule, which showed Weishart's name and age along those of nine teenage girls. Only then did the coordinator admit that Weishart had indeed been allowed to take part. Weishart has been competing against teenage girls since 2019. According to the competition coordinator, Weishart has the right to compete in girls' competitions under Swimming Canada's trans inclusion rules. He has registered himself as a female and is thus treated as a female. And although the competitions he swims in consist most almost exclusively of teenage girls, this is simply a matter of convention. It seems that since no adult has ever tried to enter a teenager's race before, there had been no need to draw up explicit rules against it. In other words, Weishart did not even need to identify as a 13-year-old girl to assert his right to enter the girls' competition. Even as the controversy has flared up, Weishart has continued to enter girls' swimming events. In December, for example, parents again raised the alarm when Weishart competed in the Trojan Cup event in Ontario. This time, he was seen using the girls' changing rooms. Reportedly, parents had to construct a makeshift tent out of towels to hide the girls from view as they changed. Incredibly, Swimming Canada and Swim Ontario have since stepped in to defend Weishart's participation in the teenage girls' events. In a joint statement, they said, Swimming is for everyone, people of all shapes, sizes, genders, beliefs, and backgrounds, should have the opportunity to swim to the best of their ability with the exception that our registrants treat each other with respect and dignity and keep our sport environment free from harassment and abuse. When Swimming Canada and Swim Ontario say that swimming is a sport for everyone, they're clearly not including teenage girls. After all, it's hard to believe that Wiseheart was respecting the dignity of those girls who were actually terrified at having to share a locker room with him. A few weeks back, it was revealed that Weishart's swimming club, the Orangeville Otters, were given an ultimatum by angry parents from a rival club. The Otters were reportedly told they were no longer welcome to take a part in the scheduled competition so long as Weishart remained a member. But instead of bowing out and letting the rest of his team take part, Weishart remained in position. Sports for the girls, it seems, should be played second fiddle to validating a man's trans identity. How on earth did we get here? As if it weren't bad enough that men have been muscling their way into women's sports, now the likes of Weishart 
a 50-year-old man, insist on competing against teenage girls and entering their changing rooms. And these people are being aided and abetted by sporting bodies, recreation centers, and, frankly, far too many adults who should know better. The next story, though, totally makes me aware that I'm an adult who should know better. Tech billionaire Elon Musk said Monday that his brain science startup company, Neuralink, has implanted a device in a human for the first time, a possible step toward a product that he said would allow people to control almost any external device just by thinking. Musk made the announcement on his platform X. He said the patient whom he did not identify received an implant and is recovering well. The initial results, he added, showed promising neuron spike detection. He gave no other details about the procedure, the patient, or the device the company implanted. Scientists for decades have worked on similar ideas for brain-to-computer interfaces that, if successful, could one day assist people who are physically disabled, change how people communicate, or more. There was no immediate independent confirmation of Neuralink's progress. One of Neuralink's competitors, Precision Neuroscience, implanted its device in a human for the first time last year. Musk's announcement comes eight months after Neuralink said it had received approval from the FDA to conduct its first inhuman clinical study. In September, Neuralink said it would begin recruiting patients for the study. I am currently torn between volunteering and covering my entire house in aluminum foil. The FDA, which regulates medical devices and would need to approve any consumer product, did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Neuralink said it was building a brain implant called the Link to help patients, including those with severe paralysis, use external technologies. Musk said Monday that Neuralink's first product would be called telepathy. He did not say whether it was a new device or a new name for the previously announced device. Neuralink has faced accusations in recent years that it mistreated some of the monkeys it used in its experiments. The Agriculture Department said last year after an investigation that it did not find any violations of animal research rules other than a self-reported 2019 incident in which a Neuralink surgeon used an unapproved sealant to close holes drilled into a monkey's skull. The telepathy product would allow people to control their phones or computers and through those devices almost any other device. With thought only, Musk said. Initial users will be those who have lost the use of their limbs, he wrote on X. Imagine if Stephen Hawking could communicate faster than a speed typist or auctioneer. That is the goal. Neuralink is backed by more than 30 investors, including PayPal co-founder Peter Thiel's Founders Fund, according to TechCrunch. Musk said in 2022 he plans to get one of the Neuralink implants himself. I think the long-term pluses for something like this outweigh the potential negatives, but I want to hear your all's thoughts, though. 
Uh, shoot me a message on Twitter. Share your thoughts on the timeline when I create the thread today. I'd love to hear what you guys think about this. Wrapping up the show today with a side of censorship, the White House said sexually explicit AI-generated images of pop star Taylor Swift were concerning, and that Congress should consider legislation to address fake, abusive images that are proliferating online. Does that include memes of Joe Biden? (laughs) Social media networks also need to do more to prevent the spread of the images. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre said, fake, sexually explicit images of Swift have flooded X in recent weeks, racking up millions of views and tens of thousands of reposts in other instances. Images of Swift and other celebrities have been manipulated to make it seem like they were endorsing commercial products. X has said it's removing the images and taking action against the accounts involved in spreading them. But the controversy controversy has inspired bipartisan calls from members of Congress for new safeguards. Jean-Pierre said short of that, President Biden was working with AI companies on unilateral efforts that would watermark generated images to make them easier to identify as fakes. The Biden administration has also appointed a task force to address online harassment and abuse. While the Justice Department created a hotline for those victimized by image-based sexual abuse, the controversy surrounding the images of Taylor Swift has raised significant concerns about the implications of such technology and its impact on individual rights and privacy. The situation highlights a growing societal issue related to, quote, deep fake technology and generative AI, which has the ability to create photorealistic images based on text prompts. While the images of Taylor Swift do not show nudity, they are clearly intended to portray her in a sexual situation. This has sparked a strong response from Swift's fans who have organized a campaign to report and drown out the images on social media. The incident has also led to discussions about the ethical use of AI and the potential for legal action against those who create and disseminate such content. Critics argue that social networks need to take a more proactive approach to addressing this problem, especially now that generative AI is more accessible. While major AI platforms have safeguards to block explicit content, there are many lesser-known options online without such restrictions. The incident with Taylor Swift's AI-generated images has brought this issue to public attention, potentially spurring legislative action to address the problem, because of course that's what we need, don't you know? More laws. It's important to consider the implications of this issue from a First Amendment perspective. The First Amendment protects freedom of speech, including artistic expression, which can extend to AI-generated content. As many of you know, I believe this right is absolute and cannot be limited by the government, even when it conflicts with other important societal interests. In the case of the AI-generated images of Taylor Swift, The key question is whether the content crosses the line from protected expression to harmful or illegal content. 
If it's determined that these images constitute a form of harassment, defamation, or invasion of privacy, legal action could be justified on Taylor's behalf, but not the government's. Not to mention, overly broad restrictions that were censorship could impede legitimate uses, uses of AI technology and artistic expression. Wholesale blocking of terminology can have major negative implications if it's extended to someone or an event taking place in real time. Hunter Biden's laptop comes to mind. When X is the place where breaking news happens first, this situation illustrates the complex balance between protecting individual rights and maintaining freedom of expression in the age of advanced AI technology. As AI continues to evolve, I hope the government doesn't try to use it as a cudgel to pass legislation that further limits our First Amendment rights. That is your Tuesday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, I have Patriots and Petticoats. It's 8.30 Eastern Standard Time this evening. I will try to get a show out to you guys after that. However, my kids both have the flu, so we'll see how that shakes out. Thank you so much. You guys take care. Have a great day. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.